As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello again, and welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I am back with you after the holiday. Thank you, as always, for joining me here on the Athletic Podcast Network for the show all about women's soccer. I am your host, Meg Linehan. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic, covering the women's national team and the NWSL. All right, so we do actually have a United States women's national team to discuss, and things keep happening almost to the point where I would like everyone to take a nap for a week mostly so that way I could also sleep but finish the feature that I need to write this week. But first, obviously, we've got a show for you, and I am joined by Brooks Peck, one of my editors at The Athletic, and we are breaking down 2020, the year of Christy Mewis, that is in all caps, the year of Christy Mewis for you. Then Ariana Scavetti is here to help make sense of what is happening right now in France with the conflict between Amandine Henri and Corinne Diacre going public. But before I get to my best attempt at catching you up on all the news that has been happening first, you may have seen the Athletics Black Friday Cyber Monday sale for $1 a month, and I have great news for you if you did not take advantage of it and felt like you missed out, because that deal is still running right now at theathletic.com slash full time through Friday, December 4th. So you actually have until 11.59 p.m. on Friday night, that's Pacific time, to sign up as a new subscriber to The Athletic for a year. For $12, you will get a full season of NWSL coverage, plus the U.S. Women's National Team run through the 2021 Olympics, assuming, of course, that we have an Olympics, and I still hop a flight to Tokyo. But either way, I will be guiding you through a full year of women's soccer, and you can get that for $12 total. But you don't just get my NWSL and U.S. coverage, you also get... Basically, the whole damn site to boot, every story, every feature, news, podcast, you name it, plus the athletic app. And if you listen to the show, you have heard me plenty on why I think it is super important for you to show your support of of coverage of women's soccer. And if you sign up as a new subscriber at theathletic.com slash full time, that's your dollar a month giving another data point to show that women's soccer coverage has value. So this episode is dropping, as always, Thursday morning, so you've got until Friday, December 4th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific to get in on this deal for one last time in 2020, $1 a month at theathletic.com slash full-time. Okay, so with that out of the way, 
Let's get into at least some of the news that has happened over the past couple of weeks. This is what I get for trying to take a week off, as both the league and the national team have been keeping us all very, very busy. So last Friday, the U.S. women's national team took on the Netherlands in a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final, and a year later replicated that exact same scoreline with a 2-0 win. Rose Lavelle and Christy Mewis, plenty more on her in a few minutes, of course, provided the goals, and you can read my main takeaways from the match at The Athletic. The short version, though, welcome to the age of Vlako and Donofsky for real. It's very exciting. All right, also on the U.S. Women's National Team front, we haven't had a legal update on the equal pay case since May when the judge overseeing this case issued a partial summary judgment that tossed most of the players' arguments when it came to the Equal Pay Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Only a few small-ticket items remain to actually handle in court, including travel and support personnel for the team. But on Tuesday, the players and U.S. Soccer announced that they had agreed to a proposed settlement on the remaining non-compensation items in that lawsuit, and U.S. Soccer will implement revised policies on four working conditions, charter flights, venue selection, professional support, and hotel accommodations. It is actually kind of a win for both sides. The players have now codified more equal treatment and are one step closer to their appeal on the bigger items. And the Federation is also happy that both sides work together for this resolution and hope that it's the first step in bringing the players back to the table to talk through the actual equal pay front. As Cindy Parlocone, president of U.S. Soccer, told media on Tuesday night, this is a good day. I hope that everyone sees we are a new U.S. soccer. Again, plenty more on this story at The Athletic from me as well. Okay, another big one. Definitely keep an eye on what's happening in Utah. As reported by myself and Paul Tenorio, there is potential that the team could move if the NWSL doesn't find a new ownership group that is willing to keep the Royals in Salt Lake. There are a lot of moving pieces here, but there is an ownership group in Kansas City working to bring an NWSL team back there, after FC Kansas City shuttered in 2017, City's been without NWSL. Angie and Chris Long are at the heart of this ownership group, and there are also, you know, there are three potential paths here. The Royals could stay in Utah if an ownership group is found in time. The move to Kansas City could happen on an extremely tight turnaround, or the league could actually opt to seize operations for Utah Royals FC and sort out a more stable option through an expansion bid. I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but again, there's a full story on this. This is a big, big idea that is not going to be captured in in me talking for 30 seconds. Um, But all of the reporting that we have so far on this front is at The Athletic as well. All right, one more thing. The NWSL has announced the date for the upcoming college draft, January 13th, 2021, and it will be live streamed on Twitch at 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's also been rebranded a bit as simply the 2021 NWSL draft rather than actually referring it to it as the college draft. So expect all of us, including me, to struggle with that one for a bit. Here's the order of the first 10 picks at number one overall, Racing Louisville FC, two, Washington Spirit, three, Sky Blue FC, four, Chicago Red Stars, five, back to Louisville, six, back to Chicago, seven, Houston Dash, eight, back to Chicago, 9, Washington Spirit, and 10, North Carolina Carch. So we're going to see a big first round from Chicago, I am sure. Here's the complicating factor, though, with the NCAA season being pushed back, and I'll just read it right from the NWSL release because it's much easier to follow. Due to the NCAA spring season in 2021, 
the NWSL has requested a waiver from the NCAA that will allow student-athletes who register for the NWSL draft to decide by Friday, January 22, 2021, if they will report to their NWSL club before or after the spring collegiate season. If the waiver is denied, players will have the option to either participate in the 2021 NWSL draft and forfeit their remaining college collegiate eligibility if selected, or withdraw from the draft registration and play the spring collegiate season, but they will be ineligible to participate in the NWSL during the 2021 season. So basically, really, let's stay tuned on this waiver because it could change a lot. All right, so listen, 2020 has been a wild and challenging ride on all fronts, but if there is one bright, shining moment in the women's soccer world for this year, it is Christy Mewis. Brooks Peck is here to break down her year, the celebrations, and the joy. Before we even really get started, like, let's first start with, you watch the game on Friday. I feel like a lot of people were watching the game on Friday because, A, we haven't gotten a women's national team game in, everyone has heard the number, 250. Yeah, we needed our fix. I mean, it had been a very, very long time. (laughs) So, I think everyone, I mean, I personally was being extremely loud on Twitter. (laughs) Give me my muscles in the midfield. It's all I want. Meg, Meg, I I beg you, please write a book with that title. Please. (laughs) It's just like, this is the children's book for kids from Massachusetts. Yeah. We'll find an illustrator. It'll be amazing. (laughs) The Mewis sisters, you can have that one. Just involve me. Like I have to be your ghostwriter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's like your joint autobiography goes right like i mean just the title alone would sell a million copies that's all you need <laughs> it was one of my finer moments of just like yes this yeah. is this is how they just should be referred perfect. to like i know you know there's also a lot of discussion about what we call both of them at the same time whether that's mewtwo mew like I, there's just so many new fun avenues yeah here. i think adam snavely on twitter was really into the mewtwo uh, tag and I'm I'm on board with that one as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. All right, all right. So now we we know where you stand. I personally just having covered them both for a while have always defaulted to Mui with the double I because I think it's funny. <laughs> like both are good and funny in their yeah. own way, but yeah. the Mui with the two eyes just deeply amuses we, me. We can do both. No we can, we can switch can. it up. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's let's do at least like we'll pretend like we're going to talk about this game. But was okay. there anything? You know, I we were all kind of like just in the athletic slack, uh, marveling over Rose Lavelle, which feels very standard for 2020 slash 2019. Yeah, I mean, it was a great pickup from where we left off, I feel like, with, with the U.S. national team, because just Rose Lavelle scoring bangers. I mean, it's it's just the natural order of things. So it was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you are in a fun position of like, yes, you have to edit my work, but you also get to watch the team from like a much more like detached point of view yeah. and just you get to kind of enjoy it. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm like one step removed. So, so I can just watch the game while, while you're frantically doing all the <laughs> 9 million things you're doing before, during and after matches. Um, but I can sit there and actually watch the match and enjoy it. And um, with this one, that's what I did. Cause it was a very enjoyable performance. Yeah. I mean, I really, I mean, before this game, talking with John Howard on this podcast being like we shouldn't have expectations for this game and then everyone is watching this game and we're like oh right this is what this team is about right cool yeah. all right I mean, should it, have it was, should have just expected this 
Exactly. It, it was a great introduction for, for Vlatko's era. And, and I think it was just a great, fun performance. Yeah, it was great. All right. So let's let's talk about Christy Mewis before we start with the Netherlands game because we have to build to it, right? This has been yeah. This is the whole we, progression. We, yeah, right. We have to talk about the year of Christy Mewis. Yeah. So I want to go back to Challenge Cup because you have this fantastic story on the Athletic that we have gotten like so much mileage out of every time <laughs> Christy Mewis does something. We're like, let's talk about. I Christy have Mewis. tweeted that story out more than anything else I have ever written in my whole career. <laughs> so let's go back what's so fun about Christy Mewis too from the Challenge Cup win is that she only plays 29 minutes of that game like she gets hurt yeah and yet she walks away like the complete (laughs) star of the day you would never know she was hurt from from her post-game performance you would never know she was hurt (laughs) all right so let how about you give us some of the rundown so that we can relive the joy of Christy Mewis's summer? I mean, I think before you even get in Challenge Cup, you have to go through just what she's been through to get to this year. I mean, she just the fact that her career started off so well, so promising on the national team. Uh, 2014 joined on the national team by her sister, you know, her her uh, her. NWSL career is off to a good start. Everything seems to be going Christy Mewis's way. And then just kind of suddenly, not so suddenly, it, it, it fizzles and fades. And, and before you know it, injuries are in there. Injuries yeah. in there, a lot of moves. She, I mean, she was on loan in Japan and Germany. And she was yeah. with, uh, what was it, Chicago for a week or something? Like, yeah, for a week. For a week. Yep. So just <laughs> trades and like everything you can experience as a professional soccer player, she went through in this, in this six-year span between, between 2014 and now. So just a lot. Just she went through a lot. And I think you, you need to have that foundation to appreciate just how great this year was for her. Because, you know, it started with in December with, with the national team camp getting kind of welcomed back into that fold. And being black with back with Vladko, who who drafted her, um, so just kind of getting back in the swing of things after this this long kind of awful stretch, including the ACL tear, and um, it's actually set the stage for for Challenge Cup. And you know she had this great Challenge Cup, gets hurt in the final, and you think ah, like <laughs> she's finally having her moment, and she just still can't quite. And fully right. enjoy it yeah and i mean she comes off the field in tears yeah. too like, exactly. yeah yeah it was just, like everyone is watching this just like oh my god like not anyone but christy yeah. like take my hand <laughs> yeah. please please <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah so you have that image of her going off in tears and you think oh she finally gets this success and she still can't fully enjoy it but how wrong we were <laughs> Because not only did she enjoy it, but she enjoyed it more than anyone else on the planet. <laughs> I mean, just the, it was so great that, that Budweiser was the sponsor here because that just, that just gave her, I feel like this great tool to, to use in her, in her celebrations. I, mean, I feel like the image of the NWSL in 2020 is that photo of her with legit an armful of Budweiser 13 (laughs) we counted online 13 of the tall boy aluminum bottles of Bud yeah 
just like, these are mine. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. And you know, so I, the whole Budweiser reveling celebration was really kind of started, I feel like, 2019 World Cup, because the national team did a great job of it too. So we have to give them yep. some some props there. Right. But Christy took it to a new level at the post-Challenge Cup. Um, just the, the dances were incredible. The swinging the medal around her neck was incredible. Um, yeah. It was, it, it was just a flawless celebration. And it was 100% the celebration of someone who had never celebrated before. So she was just going all out. And you could just feel that, like, oh, my God, I had... I grinded through six really hard years and this is my moment and I am going all out. I mean, right. she, I, <laughs> the, the, the quote, uh, the quote was, I never win anything. Let me live. And, and right. I think anyone who, who witnessed her celebration felt that fully, especially this year yes. of all years. Yeah. I also feel like she really did Massachusetts proud she, in terms of Meg, I'm telling like, you, you the willingness the to party. You got to write the book. This is, this is a chapter in the book. There was also there was also an alter ego for her, right? Yes, like she had a whole Crystal. alter ego. Crystal, the the um, I, I'm not going to remember her description of Crystal, but just it was something very yeah. very. Yeah, go, go on Christie's Instagram. She introduced the world yeah. Crystal on on there and gave a little description. Right. Great. <laughs> oh right, Crystal, whose qualities included fun, aggressiveness, and bad behavior. <laughs> yes, I mean, what more do you want in a Crystal? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. All right. So, so now we have, we have set the scene (laughs) through the summer. I mean, you know, she also like came on this podcast actually with some of her Houston dad teammates. I just remember being like, I think she also posted like a photo of her calling Sam the morning after. And she's got like a jade roller and like a thing of Pedialyte. That was the most impressive part of this whole thing. So she, she went as hard as you can celebrate and the next morning, totally fine. Like totally yeah. unbothered, just just great, doing great. As a mid thirty year old, I I envy the bounce back. Yeah, I yeah, that. I that, yeah. that was the most impressive part of the whole thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've got the setup, and then I mean, it really begins with Flacco naming his roster for an October yeah. camp, which was obviously like super NWSL heavy because at that point still in the U.S. Right. and players from Europe can't come over, but it gives Mewis the shot of like really getting her foot back in the door. Yeah. And I mean, with the national team. Also, we can't forget that she probably had an even better fall series than, than yeah. the challenge cup. 
So I, she, she really kept it going throughout the, throughout the year. Um, it, it wasn't yeah. just like a flash in the pan, great, great tournament. It was, it was a full year of, of, of good work. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really interesting just to see the differences between Challenge Cup, which did have that tournament format, mm-hmm. had that grind, whereas Fall Series, you get kind of like what at least felt like more of a regular season experience yeah. um, in terms of like the games actually being spread out yeah. over <laughs> the, the, a normal the pace of it. Yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, again, like scoring goals, also her assists were kind of off the charts this year as well. Like, it's not just the fact that she can score goals, yeah. it is the fact that she is kind of now the creative engine of the Houston Dash, which is really exciting because also as someone who covered her on the national team in the 2013-2014 era, I mean, there was a joke, my friend Mark, who is on, on Twitter, used to have like a, a acronym hashtag for Christy Mewis is not a left back because that's <laughs> where she was getting <laughs> the attempted conversion. And it was not going super well just in terms of, and it's not, it's not on her really. Like yeah. we've seen a lot of players tried, you know, like to get forced into that outside back conversion and like the success rate varies by player. But Christy Mewis is fundamentally a creative attacking midfielder. Um, So it is extremely nice to see a team put her at the center of their operations and then figure out what the pieces are that need to be around her. And I mean, I think a lot of that goes back to Vlaco being the the manager now. He, he, He knows her. He's followed her career. I think having that friendly face someone who believes in you and you know who believes in you um, goes a long way as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after after the Netherlands game and I, I brought up the 2013 thing, he was immediately like, Meg, I was the one <laughs> yeah. that drafted her. Don't forget. And yeah. I was like, I, he wants his credit yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, he does. And she went number three in the first yeah. uh, college draft. So it's not like it was a low pick. It was he, that was his number one yeah. pick that year. Yeah. Right, Yeah. right. So let's let's get into the October camp. I mean, obviously, we don't have a huge amount of visibility to it. But what Vlaco has said is like, no, she earns her way here. Like she earned it off of that NWSL performance. And then she gets the next step, which is the November call up for the friendly. Mm-hmm. And then thus begins the crusade for Massholes. In <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what did you, you know, when she takes the field mm-hmm. in the Netherlands in that second half, and we finally get a look of, of her on the field. What was your initial impression? Is it just, for me, it's just like pure joy. And I'm like, soccer comes second. I just want her on that field. Well, and, but what was... This was the thing, because after Challenge Cup, it really felt like, okay, she had this amazing moment in a year of not many amazing moments for, for most people. Um, this was it. And like, that's amazing. That's great. So yep. I didn't really have high expectations for the national team experience. Cause I thought, okay, if that's it, that's it. That's great. But uh, when she came on, I mean, obviously she was just so excited. Giants. That smile. Yeah, just <laughs> even before she got to the touchline, she was just like beaming. Um, so that was incredible. And then she, she comes on the field and is just ecstatic. She even said after the game, she couldn't, she couldn't contain it. You know, <laughs> it was just, it was just too much. Um, so yeah, like you said, like, if, if just entering the match was all she got, again, that's an amazing moment on the field with her sister again. It's great. So you think, okay, she'll, ha- she'll have this, this time. And maybe this is the foundation for, you know, for, for years to come. And she can start to build, build back her, her national team career. I did not expect the goal. <laughs> that, was, that was just like the, the cherry on top of the cherry on top. That was incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I I let out a scream. Like I, will, <laughs> I really wish that I had been just recording myself because it was the scream that I was like, oh no, are my neighbors going to think a murder is happening here? <laughs> like it wasn't even like a fun, like happy scream. Yeah. It was just full on, like there is no control <laughs> of the curdling. sound coming out of my body. <laughs> and then like, it was immediately like, oh no, I'm going to start crying. But then to also have the first people there are Alex Morgan and Sam yeah. Lewis and like, you know, that was why I wanted after the game to ask her, like, the fact, I mean, like, and Sam, you could see Sam, like, full on sprinting. It was just so, yeah, it was, like, it was just so, the levels of perfect to just everything about her professional career this year. It's like, you couldn't have written it better. It's, it's, it's just nuts. But yeah, it was also like the joy of that too is generally I try to like yell at my friends who wanted like text me during US national team games because I'm like, no, this is working for me guys. <laughs> like I know we want to talk stuff like it's cool. Like I have my work chat and I have like one specific chat that we will like talk about, you know, like work yeah. kind of related stuff. But then my friend Jess and I, who, you know, like we used to go to Revs games in Boston, but like we also, when I quasi retired from women's soccer coverage, would go to Boston Breakers games together. And there is a photo that my friend Jess took of me in the stands at Harvard Stadium, holding one of the like flags that we would have. And the joke of that was for Christy, right? Like we were like, just like a tiny little, we're going to like be nuts, Boston Breakers, Christy (laughs) Mewis supporters section. And so, like, that entire game, she's just texting me, for Christy, for Christy, for Christy. <laughs> and it was just, like, both of us being like, I have so many emotions. But like, even on top of that, just... Meg, so you were there for her last, her first and previously only national team yep. goal. And you yeah, took a which happened at Gillette Stadium, yeah. right? It happened in Massachusetts. Yeah. It's like this weird little tapping goal off of, like, a Sydney LaRue attempt. Um, yeah, and the photo that I took, because I was taking photos at the time, is just like her pure reaction of just like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, it's just pure Christy Mewis of like, <laughs> mid-reaction, like, ah, uh, this is happening, I guess. And it was so awesome, because it happened in Massachusetts, her yeah. whole family is yeah. there. You know, like, it was just such a really cool, fun moment. And that was her first year in the league. And that was um, seven that was years like, ago. That was seven years ago. So, so now she finally scores another, her second national team goal, breaks a record in the span between <laughs> yeah, it's the like two. It's like 2,700 days yeah, yeah. and change between and goals. I, I think we, we can't forget in all of this is that it was a really good goal, too. Like, it, it was. was the fact that she split those defenders um, and, and placed the ball so perfectly in the far corner. Like, that was not an easy... It's a nice finish. It really, really was. It's like a legitimately really nice goal. And, I mean, she even said post-game, like, I was nervous to take (laughs) that shot. But, I mean, in terms of, like, a pure fit, like, that's a great goal. And especially all things considered, like, you've waited for this moment for seven years, and now it's in front of you, and it's not an easy thing to execute, and you do it perfectly, it's just amazing. It's also against a team like the Netherlands. It's a rematch of the 2019 World Cup. Like, we're not talking about, like, I I think her other goal came against, it was, like, the the two matches that they had against Korea, Korea because the next one is actually when Wambach breaks the scoring record. Mm -hmm. Um, so like even at that game at Gillette, they were trying to feed Abby the entire <laughs> game of like, go, 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 go. But like ultimately it was a much better choice for her to break that record at, at Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like this is her walking onto a field against a, a top international opponent. Like it's not 
her walking into a game against, you know, like some of these smaller opponents <clears throat> that the U.S. tends to play. Yeah, like, this wasn't a like a 10 nothing game where she's just on there for, for mop-up duty. This, this was, you know, a top opponent. It was 1-0. It was still very much a game. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was just awesome. So what are, what are your main takeaways from the year of Christy Muse? I mean, it just, for me, like, it really is such, like, a nice shining point of light yeah. that we get in this year. But from someone who is, like, obviously, I have covered her basically <laughs> her entire career, right? I also have an investment in her just from a Massachusetts point of view, from, you know, covering her sister. Um, so for Writing someone who is not necessarily... Book. Yeah, right. <laughs> for someone who is not necessarily as emotionally attached, like I also think that Christy Mewis is such a great story to attract people who might not, who might be more casual women soccer fans. Yeah. Like the Dash, I think were a really good story in terms of what is possible <clears throat> to make reach into a community that is not necessarily paid attention to that team in a in a super great way in the past, right? Like the Dash have done a lot to turn their relationship with the community around. I think Christy Muse is a great like story in the middle of that. Yeah, but yeah. from your point of view, where where are the kind of like the gains there? Yeah, it, it really was a great entry point for the casual fan because I mean there there were just so few examples <laughs> of people being happy this year. So to see someone just enjoy something that much anyone can, can, can relate to that and appreciate that and want to live vicariously through that. So that just draws you in immediately. But then when you find out more about her backstory and all she went through to get to that point, like, again, this year of all years, people can relate to grinding through things for that eventual payoff, for, you know, looking towards and hoping for that, that eventual moment of like, just being able to enjoy something again and, 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 and like love that moment. So it, it was just, you know, when I wrote that first piece about the celebrations and everything, I did kind of have that moment of pause of like, will this seem like it's, it's kind of rubbing this happiness in people's faces and will people appreciate it or, or kind of withdraw from it or, or, or not like that. But, you know, I, I just, I just think people, wanted that something like that and and to to see someone happy just means a lot to people and that's what the comments were they were like it's just so great to see someone having a good year <laughs> and yeah and i mean <laughs> that's i think the weird thing that's been about this year and even from like my point of view right like i feel like i've had a very successful 2020 yeah. the nwsl has had a yeah. successful 2020 like we've hit new heights in terms of women's soccer this year which feels so at odds with the rest of this year, mm -hmm. Christy Mewis is like the perfect example of it from a player point of view, but fundamentally like there has been a very good bright spot. If you follow women's soccer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, e even the things she said has really kind of drawn into that as far as like, you know, she's very honest about how for a while she felt that she was okay just being average and, and she had to get herself out of that funk and, and work her way back through through all this adversity and, and maybe kind of take stock of of who she was and what she was doing and and her her methods and everything and and she just kind of reevaluated and and evolved and, and moved forward and, and got better and this is the fruit of that labor so it's it's just really cool to see 
All right. Well, I think <laughs> that's a good that's a good spot for us to end our our twenty minute session of Christy Moose <laughs> appreciation on. I don't think anyone is going to complain about that. No, you but, can't complain about that. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> All right, Brooks. I mean, obviously, people know that they can find you at The Athletic as I slowly work through my collection of athletics <laughs> uh, writers and editors on this podcast. But please tell folks where they can find you on Twitter. On Twitter, I am at BrooksDT, B-R-O-O-K-S-D-T. Um, you got that old dirty tackle Yeah, just handle. never changed. Same, I've had the same avatar for 11 years now. <laughs> it's just is what it is. But yeah. Meg, I'm, I'm very hopeful that in 2021, we can keep doing this. We can keep having our Christy Mewis fan club sessions on the podcast as this continues, as her good fortunes continue. So I know we got to we got to root for Christy in, in terms of the roster, yeah. in terms of this is just the I start. Mean, Meg. This is, this is just the start. This is just like our quarterly meeting. Exactly. Our first one. Yes. yes. So we will open up applications to the fan club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's. A lot of room on this bandwagon. Let's let's all jump on, like Christy on top of the table after challenge. <laughs> Start swinging those winners' medals around your neck, people. All right, thank you, Brooks, <laughs> for your time this morning. I super appreciate it. And uh, yeah, all right. So we'll we'll look forward to the next quarterly meeting of the mass holes in the midfield. Let's do it. Um, get the, get right. those publishers on the line. I want that book in the works. all right thanks meg this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thank you to Brooks for hopping on the show. <laughs> I will keep you all posted on, on Massel's In the Midfield, the book. Slowly but surely, also, I am collecting every single writer at the Athletic Soccer Vertical for this podcast. All right, next up, Ariana Scavetti of Lyon Offside is here, and basically I did use this as my excuse to pick her brain about what is happening in France and not just between uh, the French women's national team captain, maybe, question mark, Amandine Henri and head coach Corinne Diacre, but the federation and their approach to women's football as a whole. So honestly, like you tell me where you think we should start in terms of what is happening in France, because there have been a lot of recent events that we have seen on Twitter, especially from you, who I feel like has now become like the, the translator du jour of U.S. women's national team fandom trying to figure out what is happening in France. Where does this, like, let's, let's maybe identify I'll go back to my old life of being in biotech. When, when something went wrong, we had to identify the root cause. Do we have a root cause in France of what is happening right now? Yeah, I think, you know, you can go all the way back to the start of Corinne Diacre's tenure as coach of France and see some of the signs of conflicts with players, uh, including star players, you know, right from the very beginning. 
Um, but where it all really starts to boil over, I think, is in the wake of the World Cup um, mm -hmm. because the results weren't what the team wanted and expected. Um, and that was, I think, the point where you really saw um, the, the team's leaders, Amadine Henri probably first and foremost, but also folks like Eugenie Le Samer, Sarah Buati, Wendy Renard speaking up and, and saying, you know, it's probably time for the Federation to make a change. And since then, it's just kind of been one problem after another for, for the team. Right. Okay. So let's get into something that's a little more recent because it really now feels like, okay, so you just named a few players that were speaking out. Now it really feels like it is Henri. It is. It <laughs> On is. her own. And yes. where, where did that shift happen in terms of was there, okay, so you have four players and then suddenly you have one. So it feels like something must have happened from like a Federation point of view or something to be like, no, you're fine. We're, we're sticking with this coach, right? Was there a contract? Was, it, it, was there something definitive there? Well, this round of the conflict really starts about uh, a month and a half ago. Um, in early October, the president of the Federation, Noel Legret, comes to Lyon to give the Lyon players a medal to commemorate winning their seventh Champions League title. And the players take that opportunity to go to Legret and say, you know, we want to have a conversation about what's happening with Corinne Diacre's management. Um, and so they talk about their vision for the team, they talk about the problems they see, and they think, you know, we're going to get some attention from the Federation now on these issues. Instead, the next day, Diacre calls Henri and tells her that she's not going to be on the list for the next France camp, which was going to be released later that week. It's a 15-second phone call um, where, you know, Henri says, uh, Diacre said, my list comes out tomorrow in light of your recent performances, you won't be on it. Henri shocked, uh, and so was everyone else when the list was announced the next day. You know, Diakrik says that she wants Henri to, to get back to her best level after returning from injury, but it, there's a lot of skepticism about that claim because also on her list are other midfielders who had been out due to injury. You know, Majri hadn't played the past two games. Bilbo hadn't play, play, played the past two games. Uh, and Giro had played, I think, 30 minutes all season. And they all made the list. But right. Henri, who had played three full games, wasn't on it. So yeah. the conclusion essentially was that it was a punishment, that Legret had passed word to Diacre that the players had spoken to him. And Diacre had taken out her anger uh, on Henri by leaving her off the list. Yeah, okay. So what happens next? Because then Henri goes on television, right? Which feels like, well, she starts speaking out. She says, like, I got this phone call, right? Right, exactly. If, if Diacre thought that keeping Henri off the list was going to scare the players into science, silence, yeah. she badly miscalculated. Because right when she made the decision, several of Henri's teammates spoke up immediately to say, you know, this is incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. This is a crazy decision. But Henri herself didn't say too much at first. Um, but a few weeks ago, she went on Canal Football Club, which is a primetime show um, you know, dedicated to French soccer. It's like, you know, big and very much in the public focus and did a one-on-one -on -one interview where she told the stories of this 15-second phone call where she talked about how many problems there had been at the World Cup and how it was you know, total chaos under the Accra and said that 
that things need to change. Yeah. I think, okay, so here's my question. And, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit ahead of time. We're like, I personally know I'm looking at this from a filter of watching the U.S. Women's National Team and how they operate, where they back each other up, right? So the way that I'm watching this, you have a few players talking to, you know, talking about the, the team itself, right? And then you do have players backing up Henri's omission from the team. But no one else seems to really be hitting, like, from a, like, actual content point of view the same way Henri is doing. Like, there's not necessarily that alignment there. It felt like Buhati especially, like, basically it said, like, I'm going to bounce from this team, right? Back yeah, in the that's day. Right. Yeah, that's right. A few months ago, Buhati said she was taking a pause from the national team um, and initially was fairly vague about the reasons, but since right. then has been more clear and tying it specifically to Diacra. Yeah. Okay. So where, where are we at now? Because Henri does come back to the national team, at least for a bit. Yeah. So after Henri, you know, goes on Canal Football Club, uh, the Gred, again, the president of the Federation, made some comments publicly that he expects Diacra to select the best players, that her job is safe, but she has to put the best players on the, on the field. So that kind of reads as a message, you know, you don't get to cut her now. So Diakra uh, selects Henri for, for this past camp um, that's just finishing up. But, um, but it's, it's been horrible for her during this period. There, she's been ignored at times by the coach. They had a, a blow up in the weight room that ended with Henri asking if Diakra was threatening her. Um, and she's almost certainly played her last minutes as, as captain of the French national team. And, and I think she's considering whether it's worth sticking it out, whether it's worth, you know, maybe doing the same as Buhati and, and just walking away. Right. Okay. So I think the, the, a lot of the initial reaction is just like, why wouldn't France's federation step in? in a more meaningful way beyond just kind of like that vague public comment of like, well, I guess I expect her to pick the best players. Like where, you know, I think from, again, from a U.S. point of view, we have seen kind of that internal conflict with a coach that did not quite bubble up to this level here, right? With Jill Ellis got handled internally, even, and again, like the same thing happened where you get the, the affirmation of the coach in power saying like, nope, you guys have to deal with it. Like this is the, the coaching hire we've made. Um, so where, where, where's the federation's like, does the federation care enough? Is that it? Is that what's happening? The federation or, or at least Noah Legret has gone all in um, on Diacra. Uh, it's, I think one of the frustrations has been the way the federation's messaging has kind of, changed where it's been you know we'll handle it internally we'll have a meeting we'll resolve tensions and then as soon as the team qualified for the euro then Legret says you know I think it's all over and done with the team seems fine um you know I'm not getting into ancient history uh, as though it's not three weeks ago (laughs) um I think the reason that the federation has has really refused to act is that I don't think it wants to be seen as caving to pressure from Leon. And there's at least a 
camp of Diacre supporters who think that this is a Leon versus Diacre problem and not a true Diacre problem. But um, but the players and, and many of the French journalists say that that's not the case, that it is a broader issue and that it's just that other teams like PSG have barred their players from commenting uh, on Diacre because they don't want all of the chaos that sort of come with uh, Henri and these these guys speaking up. Right. Okay. So maybe to, to take a little bit of a step back, um, you know, I remember reading a huge piece in the New York times about the culture of the France Federation that comes into play. I think that there are internal politics as you're just talking about with PSG Lyon, the Federation in terms of who holds power in women's soccer um, could you maybe walk us through some of, you know, it's not just Henri versus the coach, right? It, there is kind of this larger landscape of women's football in France that seems to be kind of an ongoing <laughs> saga amongst itself. You know, I mean, like even going back to the 2019 World Cup, I think, you know, there were expectations with the country hosting the World Cup, right? That things had maybe gotten sorted out there were expectations of you know that they would perform at a certain level um I think a lot of us looked at Diakou not picking Katoso for that roster and going like that seems like a decision that you could make sure um but there are there are have always been some of these moments where you look at them and you're like what what exactly is happening over there? And I don't want to make you like personally responsible for whatever France is doing when it comes to women's football, but is there some context that you think is important for people to know here? Yeah, I, I think there's no way to see women's football as anything more than an afterthought for the French Federation. The priority is always going to be on men and the men's leagues, and, and they want to be seen as you know, interested and involved in women's football, but they're also sort of happy, I think, to ride on Leon's success and PSG's success uh, as well to say, you know, clearly we're doing fine. Those teams are doing well. So, you know, pay no attention to the fact that the league here still isn't fully professional or, um, or that the stadium conditions for some of the teams are really very poor. Um, and they also, too, I think, looked – have said that the World Cup was a huge success in terms of getting girls to enroll more in, in soccer teams, um, but haven't really kind of grappled with um, with trying to move the French national team to the top level. And so you see a lot of what Legrette has said about Diacre is, well, she hasn't lost a game since the World Cup. So the results are good. Why would we get rid of the coach? But you look at those results and it's, it's mostly European qualifiers against Serbia, Kazakhstan, North Macedonia. And, and when they've actually played competition that they'll face in the Euros, like the Netherlands or, or Austria, there are some draws in there. Um, and there's no real big like marquee wins against a Germany and England, uh, something that you'd consider real competition. So, right. you know, course they're beating these sort of lower tier lower tier teams so is there is there pressure you know like I feel like here again in the U.S. if if the U.S. you know I mean I think about them going to France at the start of 2019 and losing to France (laughs) and the immediate reaction of just like well we're doomed right like there is that kind of 
of close watch of the results from a media point of view, at least within like our little sphere, right? Like maybe not everyone, but there is like a public watching and going like, well, that doesn't line up with what we expect out of this team. And art, like, I feel like obviously France fans of the national team must have those expectations because like, I think we have looked at France for so long saying like they have the players that should break them into, you know, like not just a top five team, but like really competing for a run at a world cup. And this was supposed to be the one. And obviously like you get that USA versus France quarterfinal, but you know, expectations have been there at least I feel like on this side of Atlantic, is there anyone putting pressure on France to, to live up to those expectations? Yeah, absolutely. I I think there is that level of expectation from the public, from the media, uh, the challenge is sort of who bears the, the brunt when, when the team falls short. And so um, some of the, the folks defending Diacra don't want to hear what the Leon players have to say when they're saying, well, we can't win with this coach because they're saying, well, we haven't won anything with you in the national team yet either. Is that fair? Probably not. But at the same time, when when nobody has has managed to take the national team to the next level, there, there's sort of becoming a, a bit of frustration um, globally. But you do look at these players that are aging out, and and as Henri said, you know, the time to win with this generation is is now. Not you can't make a change three years from now. You need to do it now before the Euros, the mm-hmm. Olympics in France, the next World Cup. Right. Right. All right. Do you see? Well, we can go back to the actual conflict here. I mean, it, it seemed like you have a vague sense of like Henri, at least certainly weighing the possibility of just being like, I'm good. Like I yeah. tried, like I said my piece, I'm going to feel comfortable if I walk away knowing that I, I did what I did. But do you think that there is a path for both, you know, like, if it really seems like Diacre isn't going anywhere and Henri is going to stand her ground, is there any other outcome beyond her walking away and this team just moving along under this coach without her? I think the Federation elections in March are going to be essentially high noon for, for the women's national team. If Legret is reelected, he continues to back Diacre, nothing changes. I think at that point, you know, Andre doesn't doesn't want to be treated the way she has in this camp, and and I think you heard similar things from from Buati that she didn't like the interrogation she had to undergo, that she went ten days without the coach speaking to her in in one camp, and so players like like Andre are just going to say there's no point to that, and you know maybe Renard as well, maybe Catato as well, um, these other players that have that conflict. So if Legret stays in stays in, Diacre stays in, I think then you potentially look at a wave of player exits. If Legret loses his spot, someone new comes into the head of the federation, he probably doesn't lose election based on the, the women's national team issue, but like you said, the New York Times pointed out the federation's got bigger issues. Someone else comes in, maybe there's a new voice to listen to, you know, these star players saying, this isn't working and this atmosphere isn't going to allow us to win. Yeah, I mean, I think it is really interesting just to have I mean, I remember, again, the New York Times posting that, like, big glass door story about U.S. soccer in the middle of the World Cup. 
about U.S. soccer and the culture there. And then now to see like France essentially going through the exact same thing. It is just such a weird reflection where it's essentially the same problem, but you have just such a weird different spin and culture on both sides. Like, but fundamentally we have culture problems. And I feel like they're not, they're not the only two federations to have culture problems, right? Like this is the challenge of, of soccer federations and how they approach women's soccer. And I mean, we see it at every single level of the game in in terms of like questionable actors entering the space and leaving it worse when they leave. Um, But is there where, I mean, and this is, this is again, like super big picture for you, but in terms of where we have seen France in the past, where we could, you know, there are a couple of different paths for France to go. It seems like now almost, I wonder if you have to just start looking and going, how do they fix this ahead of 2023 instead of, or I mean, I guess they, they really, Euros, right? Feels like it's going to be the priority. That's the one. Yeah. It's got to be the Euros. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. That right now they they sort of have an opportunity to to get set for that Euros. You know, they can benefit from not having to go to um, to the Olympics, and so they could use this time to look at the areas, the roster that they need to develop, and to build that kind of unity, and to go in and and you know try to do what they weren't able to do in 2019 or even 2017. Um, but there's a feeling that they're losing time because they, when the best case scenario feels like a change after March, you know, you start yeah. to, to, uh, to run into trouble. Um, but you know, there's something really positive about players, I think, speaking up and commenting on the federations that, you know, we've sort of moved beyond the era where, having a women's national team survive and function and be operational was the first concern. And, and now you kind of have players taking more ownership and saying, it's not enough just for us to exist. We need to be in the right conditions to, you know, succeed and win. Right. If, if Henri ends up walking away from this team, what do you think that does for the actual composition of the France national team? Because that is also the team's captain. Like, I mean, there are a few names when I when I think of the France women's national team. Henri is absolutely, at, at least in that top, it might be Wendy, right? Like Wendy, I think, is kind of the default for a lot of us. But Henri's right there next to her. Yeah, I think you, know, you lose really two important things. You have Henri's leadership and 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 she's brought so much to this team. She's not necessarily the most vocal leader, or at least hasn't been until now. Um, but uh, in terms of her play on the field, you know, I, I think back to the, the world cup game against Brazil when she scores the extra time game winner and you know, team piles on the substitute salute along the, the touchline. Um, so you have that leadership piece of it, but then the other challenge is that the midfield, I think is really the place where the depth in the French national team is, is lacking. You have a lot of great attacking options up front. Um, you know, even when you're missing some folks, you could cons- you could live without a Eugenie Lissimer. You got some interesting up and coming defenders too. No one's Wendy Renard, but you can conceive of moving forward without Wendy Renard. But the French midfield is a challenge. It was a challenge in the last World Cup, and it becomes more of a challenge as you lose players like 
Henri and the, the pipeline doesn't match the other position groups. So, you know, yep. you really need Henri to anchor that midfield in addition to all the intangibles that she brings. Yeah. Also, I mean, as, as someone who appreciates holding midfielders, like I feel like right. they're wildly underrated in terms of what they do, but also, I mean, having seen her in the U S right. Like that's the other joy of Henri is that we have seen her play with Portland. Like we know, mm-hmm. Like I have watched her play in person, up close and personal, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is why she is regarded. Right, she's really of, good. Yeah, like <laughs> she's legitimately really good. So it is like, I don't know. Also, the other one thing that I did want to ask you now that I've mentioned Portland is, do you think that maybe there's anything to her time in the U.S. kind of like influencing her of how she's approached this conflict, and not necessarily like, oh, I, you know, like she spent a lot of time talking to U.S. national team players or anything, but I feel like you know, that's kind of the interesting thing about the NWSL is it gives players an environment to like talk to each other about women's soccer and like the growth of the game and things like that. Like she's on a team with Megan Klingenberg, who's involved with the PA, but like Christine Sinclair, right. Who has long been underserved by her federation in terms of big games and, and um, basically their entire setup as well. Like, do you, do you think maybe that this has played a role just in terms of like how she approaches her role now as a, as a leader off the field? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's possible. I think she talked a lot about how she found in the NWSL, the, the players kind of personalities shown through a little more than they did in France, that they did sort of more, I guess, like brand building and were more vocal. So I think, you know, that kind of, of, you know, being able to put yourself, uh, to the forefront, I think may have come, may have been affected by her time in the U.S. And I think too, like you said, being able to exchange with players from so many different federations and, and get an understanding of what the the expectations are um, and, and what the environment is like. Uh, I think too, having someone like Ada Hegerberg in the the Lyon locker room may also have have played a role as well, because of course, you know, Ada was was famously. Yeah. willing to, to step away from, from her national team because of her issues with the Federation. Yeah, I guess Lyon locker room as well. I mean, you've got Marzan in, in Germany, you've got Japan, right? Like there are a lot of, but Hegerberg really, you know, if we want to talk about different approaches to working with a Federation, Hegerberg is definitely, I think, at the, the very far end. Like as much as the U.S. get a lot of credit for, okay, we're going we're gonna to take some steps. Hegerberg is just out here being like, nope, goodbye, see ya. Like, I'm, I'm out until you actually give women's soccer the respect that I think it deserves. Um, yeah, and she was willing to to take that step on her own, and and didn't and didn't need to have the the whole team behind her necessarily, um, which you know takes a, a lot of strength. Um, think too you know kind of comparing the Henri and, and Hegerberg situations you also get a sense of how in many ways it's impossible to win Hegerberg took a lot of criticism for not making her problems with the federation sufficiently public and at least the view of some commentators right um whereas Henri goes on tv and you get a whole group of people saying well you know can't you keep this in the locker room why isn't this private um so you know which is it I think people are always gonna 
have yeah. an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and we see that here too of like, well, you agreed to a CBA. Like, I mean, right. there's all, there's always going to be people with opinions. And I think at the end of the day, like the question is, are the players comfortable with the actions that they have taken? And I don't know if you watch the, the Hagerberg doc that's on ESPN plus yet, but like, yeah, it is. I mean, it's really fascinating just in terms of not just getting a better sense of what she was making a stand against, but also like her reaction to that criticism, I think is really fascinating as well. And then the frustration when the coverage just tends to focus on that over and over again, despite the fact that she is playing games with another team and, you know, doing the usual thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, do you, so let's say Henri steps away from the national team. You you don't think that is going to change anything in terms of Leon, right? No, I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let me end with one more. What should we be keeping an eye out for beyond? Okay, so now we know March with the election for the France yeah. Federation. What else should we be keeping an eye out for in between now and then beyond probably any future dust-ups between Diacre and Henri? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the next thing to, to keep an eye on is what Diakra's next roster looks like in, in the new year and the extent to which she keeps bringing in the sort of troublemaking Leon players or the extent to which she, you know, continues to kind of drop them. Um, that's, I think every time there's a French roster announcement, everyone sort of holds their breath to see uh what what new nonsense is is coming um but uh but you're right the the federation elections that's that's the one to watch all right perfect uh please tell folks where they can find you find your work so that way again um i think that you are really a go-to resource for this the the france updates that we all need but want to make sure that people know how to find you yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at uh, ASCAVS. Um, I also write for Leon Offside, a blog about Leon men and women's team. And uh, that's the, those are the best spots. I'm always happy to chat about France or Leon or the Division One title race. Uh, <laughs> plenty going on. How are you feeling about the Division One title race with that PSG result? I mean, that's that's uh, it's hard as a Lyon fan. Like watching a loss is really a very unusual experience. It really takes something out of you. But <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see how the, how the back half of the season plays out because you know PSG has a tendency to fall off a little bit against some of the other teams in the table and Hegerberg coming back. Uh, I think Lyon's going to have a lot to say before before the season's out. All right. That's a, that's a perfect place to end it. Thank you for, for joining us. And thank you for explaining all things France. I personally very much appreciate it. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thank you to both Brooks and Ariana for their time this week. Two conversations I have been really excited to have since I basically asked them in the middle of last weekend if they could please come on this podcast despite the holiday weekend. All right. One more thing, as always, Just honestly, thank you to everyone tagging me in your Spotify wrapped post this year. I did not really ever think this through, but it is so cool to see how much everyone is listening to the show and to see other folks like Equalizer Soccer or Julie Foudy's Laughter Permitted or Katie Nolan or Kelly O'Hara's pod for Just Women Sports in the mix for everyone too. So keep those tags coming. I love them all. It's so cool. And also on that same note, 
Tell your friends, subscribe, rate, and review. You know the drill. Full Time with Meg Linehan is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Athletic, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Your ratings and reviews on Apple help so much. And as I tell you every single week, I read them all. Thank you for taking the extra step to support the show. And again, I've got one more, one more thing. Go New England Revolution. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and do not yet subscribe to The Athletic but would enjoy more women's soccer coverage and more sports coverage, or you would like to read all of those stories that I told you were on The Athletic, the link to do so is theathletic.com slash full-time. A reminder, if you are listening to the show this week on December 3rd or 4th, you've still got a little time to take advantage of that $1 a month subscription deal, so please get on it now. You can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I'm Meg Linehan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.